Welcome to the PubCast, your inside look at electronic publishing. From ebooks to websites to podcasts and more, join us as we interview the professionals on the cutting edge of publishing. Well, my name is Adelia Hummy, and I am a graduate student at Emerson College in the electronic publishing class. And today I'm talking with uh, Kyla Hill Stern. She is a senior editor for the website The Mary Sue which is an online source for news about all aspects of geek culture, comics, TV shows, uh, movies, video games, all approached from a feminist perspective. So Kyla, thank you so much for making some time to talk with me today. Thanks for having me here. So you just recently started working for the Mary Sue, although your career has taken you to a lot of different websites. So what brought you to this new position? Well, I would say that writing has always been my foremost passion, um, but I took kind of a roundabout uh, pathway getting here. So I began as um, an intern at Gawker Media in like a hundred years ago in internet time, um, before it was known, before anyone had ever heard of Hulk Hogan and Gawker. Um, there's, you know, 10 people in a storefront. I got started on their community projects there um, as an intern. And then five years later, I was still there. But I was then the community manager. Um, meant I was sort of in charge of all of the comments, all of the moderation, figuring out how to spark conversations on the sites. And, um, you know, it wasn't always the most thrilling work because I got to see all the trolls all day, every day. Mm-hmm. But it actually ended up being some of the best training for journalism I could have asked for. Also, while I was at Gawker, I started writing for io9.com, which was uh, Gawker's science fiction and fantasy imprint. And I'd always been a a geek my whole life. So um, as soon as they started that, I was like, how do I get involved? Um, And I would just write bio nine anytime I could. For a while, I was at Tumblr. I was working also in their sort of community department, um, which also showed me a lot of different ways people have strong opinions on all kinds of stuff. And um, I took a weird break from the internet to help start a science fiction bookstore. <laughs> so that oh, was sort cool. of an, an aside. But I did get to spend a lot of time reading uh, during that adventure. Um, then uh, one of my editors at IM9 was made the editor in chief of Gizmodo. And she um, came to me and said, you know, I'd love to have you on the team at Gizmodo. And so I went back to Gawker Media yet again, <laughs> and at Gizmodo, I uh, became a senior writer, and my focus was really a lot of internet culture, um, technology, of course, is Gizmodo's bread and butter, but um, I was also focusing on you know, how people were using social media and um, sneaking in some side sci-fi posts for io9 whenever I could. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm still getting to the Mary Sue. <laughs> No, that's okay. It's it's good to hear the whole history leading up to it because I think that's one of the things that's really fascinated me about publishing careers is that most of the people I've talked to have not stayed in one job, um, that there's been a lot of flexibility that's allowed them to move to new positions and new companies. So it, this is, a, you know, it's kind of cool to hear the trajectory. That's very true. And it's, you know, it's sort of a double-edged sword. Um, often, you know, in one position, it easy to leave and go to another and possibly, you know, like leverage yourself to a higher role. Um, but there's also the dark side of it. There's often a lot of turnover. There's a lot of instability in the media these days. Um, so, you know, I've 
seen and witnessed my friends working at an outlet where all of a sudden an entire desk will be closed and, you know, they're all out of work in a day. Um, so it's just, it's, there's both a lot of flexibility and mobility, I would say, but it's also always a scary time to be with. I think it's really scary now. Um, I actually took another little break from the media world and I decided since I'd been writing about technology all year, I would go and build some technology. So I became a content manager at um, something that's called the Samsung Accelerator. It's like Samsung, the electronics company, helping to build startups that have good ideas. So then I spent another year as like the voice of a robot, where today I was writing uh, the, the words that our robot app would say. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, the job posting at the Mary Sue and I had always loved their content mm-hmm. and I'd always thought, you know, like this is, this is it, the, the nexus of geek, geekery and feminism. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I went after the job and I'm really thrilled to be there. It's a great team, great environment. That's so fantastic. Um, I w- there was a question I was planning to ask later in the interview, but since you, you've already kind of, um, touched on it and telling us about the, the other places where you've worked. Um, so I think I'll just jump to it now. Talking about the the sort of the online politics, if you will, of community management. Um, so you've previously worked at, at Tumblr addressing community violations when people aren't following Tumblr's rules. And I know the Mary Sue also invests a lot of effort in moderating its comments and keeping that comment space, you know, relatively positive. What are your recommendations for handling user interactions with a site like that? You know, what's interesting is I don't want to jinx myself, but for all of my of interactions, I really have not been trolled myself. Um, well, that's good. Maybe to hear. it's <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's because I really start out in this land of commentary. So part of my sympathy is always with them, um, and I think a lot of writers, and not, I mean, it's rightfully so. They just ignore the comments entirely, or they, uh, you know, will have sort of battles with them. Um, I find especially people who really love a site, you know, they're coming back to us day in and day out. And sometimes, you know, they, of course, will take issue with thing that we say in an article, but they really just want to be heard. And I find that they're um, often, you know, quite intelligent, um, can often be great writers themselves. Mm-hmm. So I always take the approach of, you know, either just giving sort of like a, a fun sort of thumbs up type comment, encouraging them. Or, you know, if I really did mess up on something in my article, I'll be like, you know, thank you so much for your perspective. You're totally right about this. Or else you know, I'll present my own argument. <clears throat> I find that you know, sometimes when people have been the maddest at me, they're so surprised that I took the time to go and talk to them that it really can actually earn me more loyal readers than, you know, ignoring it. <clears throat> the problem with the Internet is, well problem and a a brilliant part of it is it never forgets so you know if you piss off the commenters 10 years ago a lot of them will still remember that and they'll sort of follow you around no matter where you go but i think general um, i see a lot of sites these days shutting down comment sections and it really makes me sad because first of all i love that feedback Um, i've watched people form friendships um, at Gawker, there were even commenters who ended up marrying each other. You know, it's like, yeah, so, it's another way of building community. Right, exactly. And so I think it's sort of just like a cheap, easy way out 
when you have some sort of a problem and you decide, okay, we're not going to try to fix it either with tech or more moderators or some investment of money. And instead we're just going to close it down. Um, because I think a lot of the really great sites, you know, got started because of their communities. Uh, and not to mention, I've, I've been witness to a lot of commenters sort of jumping out the comment section and becoming writers in their own right. Um, so that's always a possibility, but you know, I can't imagine at the Mary Sue not having our community. Like I, I'm sitting there, you know, biting my nails, wondering what they're going to say. And I love that. So what does a typical day working for the Mary Sue look like? Well, I think it varies a little bit for all of us because, um, we all have different roles and, um, areas of focus, but I'll, I'll sort of run you through mine. Um, as I say, I like to work from our office, which is in Midtown Manhattan. But I am one of the only Mary Suvians um, who's in New York City. So the rest of our team is really completely virtual. And we use the um, application Slack to kind of organize everything. Um, and I have to say, I haven't been at any company in the last like five years that hasn't used Slack. I hear about Slack on podcasts all the time. <laughs> they're, they're a big podcast advertiser. Without Slack... Um, what we even did beforehand. I'll tell you, the first year at Gawker Media, we still used AOL Instant Messenger. Too <laughs> nice. But that was that was another era. So, um, you know, everyone sort of chimes in in the morning on Slack. We have many different channels on there that help us organize topics. Um, and then we have a pitch channel where basically everyone is dropping in links of interest all day. So, you know, we. I think that that's a really great way of keeping everyone apprised on the news and also giving people the chance to share different ideas because we all consume different stuff, right? And we all have different go-to sources, all of the different writers and editors. I think, you know, in the pitch channel, we are really like cherry picking the best stuff. We drop it in. And if it's a story we want to claim, we'll claim it for ourselves. Otherwise, it's sort of open season if anyone else wants to grab it and cover it. And, you know, it's also a place to just share other ideas that are original and maybe not based off of any event or other piece of media. And then, you know, we have other Slack channels that help us organize the publishing of the site, um, keep everything running smoothly. But what I really love about the Mary Sue is, um, you know, there are people in editor roles, but we're more of, I like to describe it as sort of like a hive mind collective rather than any kind of a hierarchy. The editors all take roles. Uh, editing each other, uh, editing all the writers. I get edited by assistant editors and um, I'll edit everyone. And so it's really just like we're all trading off those different roles, which keeps everyone kind of honest. And it's also a great chance for everyone to sort of try on different hats, which I think is really um, a cool thing. And, you know, we all have different areas of, of um, interest. So I would say we're united by uh, geekery and feminist principle, but I might love comic books while somebody else is gamer and, you know, I can't play a video game to save my life. So um, we'll all step in based on what we're most interested in and if we're having, you know, sort of strong emotions about something that day, maybe I'll take on politics, even if it's not my usual beat, if I need to yell about like Mike Pence doing something. Sure. (laughs) Which is almost an everyday occurrence. Almost every day. <laughs> so I, I know that the Mary Sue has articles both from the staff writers and from um, contributors as well. 
For example, I, I remember reading when uh, Novel Wolf wrote about the Starlit Wood last fall, um, and she was sort of talking about the, this, this new book that she had edited um, and sort of pitching, you know, why it was so great. And I ended up going out and buying it because of this article I saw in the Mary Sue. Is there a different editorial process for pieces that are coming from the Mary Sue staff versus pieces that are maybe coming from another website or from an author or some sort of guest writer like that or a community contributor? Yeah, um, uh, one of our wonderful assistant editors, Jessica Lashnell, who's been with the Mary long time. Um, she is in charge of all of the contributor content. So she's really the one who's interacting with them the most on, uh, via email, reading through the submissions, deciding you know what's going to go up, and then helping to package that. So that's really Jessica's baby, and she does the, the most amount of work on that. And then um, you know the editors will give everything a, a, a once-over once it's ready to go up. But um, she sort of that's her kingdom and she rules over it. Um, and, you know, we're <laughs> always we're always looking for new contributors and interesting ideas. Um, I have to say that, you know, one of uh, the things that I'm really interested in doing myself as I'm coming into this team is I think that we do a really great job of covering the news. And I love all the Mary Sue takes and what I want from them more are, you know, like personal experience posts and the stuff just like deep down in our soul that we haven't exercised yet. <laughs> so more personal essay style writing. Yeah, because, you know, I think there's there's so many sites and there's so much news on the Internet these days that it's like, where are you going to go for something that you haven't seen somewhere else? So that's a direction that I think we're going to be heading. Um, and Jessica's already done a great job with doing a lot of personal essays from our contributors. Um, like you, I'm not personally a gamer, so I, I usually gloss over the video game articles, but um, yeah, I dabble in a little bit of, of everything else. Um, one thing, is, since this is for an electronic publishing class, I did want to ask you about some of the technical skills that go into online publishing. So as um, either in your current role with, with the Mary Sue or in, in previous roles, have you done things like, like managing... CMS and SEO. What are some of the, the softwares and, and platforms that the Mary Sue uses? Um, well, like a lot of blogs out there these days, we're using WordPress, so our primary publishing platform. Uh, I think WordPress is sort of like the old war horse. <laughs> um, it hasn't changed very much since its early days, and it gets the job done. Um, I actually find it quite refreshing to be back on WordPress these days because um, in the past I've been at companies that have used their own like in-house systems. Mm -hmm. And of course mm -hmm. that can be an advantage because, you know, then you can literally create any thought, but then you also have to build it and maintain it. I have been at jobs where the CMS is crashing every five minutes and you lose a post or, you know, things just don't run the way you want them to. And that can be really frustrating. So, yeah, we um, we all um, just use WordPress as our primary uh, input. And um, everyone's also responsible for their own social media of their posts, which I think is great because journalists need to be social media editors. And um we have a wonderful social media manager who um, runs our stuff even more, interacts with people. Daniela 
uh, when I was at Gizmodo for a while, I was doing all of the social media for every single post every day. And that was great practice for me to see what people respond to best on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and I, so I'm really glad that all of our writers do that as well. What are some of the challenges of funding and sustaining a website like the Mary Sue? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. There's such um, a vast audience out there these days, especially for sort of geeky content. Um, but a lot of it is really skewed sort of more male and bound up in a lot of properties that, again, have been more if not only consumed by men, definitely marketed more to men, comic books, video games, big sort of Hollywood blockbusters. And, you know, all of that is changing so much. Um, these days, women are a majority of gamers. We're the ones, you know, buying the superhero toys and going to see Star Wars four times in the theaters. And, um, you know, I, I think women probably read the most also in terms of book consumption in the publishing industry. But there's definitely just not any of the mechanisms for marketing there. And, um, you know, unfortunately, everything online in in media and in publishing has to go hand in hand with advertising. Sure. Um, a lot of different properties are have, you know, are trying different ways of making money. But eventually, you know, you, you still need some form of advertise. Uh, a question we're always asking ourselves is how do we reach a broader audience? How do we get out the word about the Mary Sue um, because we know the readers are there. And so, you know, we need to just find them and, and tap into them. What excites me is that sort of nerd and geeky topics have really become the mainstream part of the mainstream in the last few years. So, you know, if, when I was growing up, if you had told me there was going to be like a feminist geek site with a name that comes from fan fiction, I would have just laughed and laughed. Sure. <laughs> But, you know, these these days it's it's one of many and there's whole clothing lines aimed at geek girls and there's cons and there's, you know, these days um, creators for TV shows and movies expect to interact with the fans. And so there's really a sort of a, a consciousness of this stuff within the general public that it never was there before. That's really interesting that you bring that up because um, last semester for... Uh, a different course. And I talked to one of the editors at Tor, the, the sci-fi fantasy publisher. And I asked her about that of kind of how she felt that that was changing the publishing industry, that sci-fi fantasy is in the public spotlight in a way that it hasn't been in the past. And she said, you know, she, that she sees a little bit of a backlash almost from some deeply entrenched members of the sci-fi fantasy community that are sort of saying like, well, this isn't my grandfather's sci-fi. You know, this isn't Lovecraft or, or whatever. Um, and feeling almost defensive of that community. But on the, on the whole, obviously, it's been a very positive push forward, I think, and and seems to be opening up maybe some new opportunities um, and certainly accessing new fans who maybe weren't diving into this material before. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because there definitely has been a backlash. And you always hear more about people involved in a backlash that you do about the good things that are happening to you. Um, but you know, it's almost, I like to think of it as sort of like the last gasp of angry people who really don't have anything else to talk about. Um, because they see that the world is changing in ways that they don't want. And, you know, we're seeing this across America in other countries where people are confused at seeing the shape being altering. And so they're sort of lashing out at it. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I think, you know, it, that response to very real change, people furious that video games are changing their depictions of women and introducing, you know, gay characters, for example, if that wasn't happening, get better depictions of women and characters across the spectrum. And you wouldn't get people trying to game the Hugo Awards to make sure, like, you know, crappy authors win instead of diverse authors sure. if there weren't so many diverse authors, like, on the ballot. So I try to look kind of on the brighter side of these people are mad and they seem to have a lot of time to devote to... To being mad about it. But I think in the end we're going to win. <laughs> Um, that's sort of a, a good segue into uh, my next question, which was, what sort of changes do you anticipate um, the Mary Sue and, and other websites that are built really strongly on these online communities, where are they going in the next few years? That's a very interesting question. Abrams Media is compared to something like, say, BuzzFeed, where we're a very small shop. Um, you know, so BuzzFeed, for example, has whole vast teams that all they do all day is test headlines and how they're going to run compared to another headline. Um, and, you know, being in a giant corporate structure like that obviously gives you a lot of advantages. Um, people are moving a lot into video. Video seems to be the buzzword these days. I've had a lot of friends who've lost jobs because they're opening up a video department and they seem to not need writers anymore. Um, but you know, I, one of the things I really love about the Mary Sue and our parent, um, which is Abrams media is we are small enough that there's really still an emphasis on writing and on content. Um, if I could bring us anywhere, I would love to see an, an app where there's, you know, more easy accessibility because I think mobile is everything. When I was at Samsung, everyone was talking about VR all the time, VR, VR, VR. I think what we're actually going to see first is AR, which is augmented reality, stuff like Pokemon Go, which everyone freaked out about. So I think, you know, in the, in the future, we're all going to be using our sort of super-powered phones even more. And I would love to see more interactivity with stuff like that. But, you know... I'm not in any position to judge really how video does for other sites. And I really admire people who make videos because it is very difficult and there's a lot of production involved. But it does make me sad as a writer to see that there's been this huge shift with an emphasis on video. I think there's should be room for both. In a way, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because, of course, somebody has to write the scripts for these videos. So to be losing your writing staff in favor of developing a video production department. I, I don't know, something's not quite clicking there. Um, my last question is just about sort of, as an individual who's working online, I imagine it's, it's very easy to feel that you are constantly connected to your work. So what would your advice be for people who are looking at maybe working primarily online or maybe managing social media or, or um, you know, pitching stories online? For those of us whose work might primarily involve the internet, how do you set some boundaries and prevent information overload? Um, if you ever learn an answer to that question, you should definitely let me know. <laughs> um, I, ha I have to say, I honestly haven't figured it out. I usually, um, in bios, depict myself as a citizen of the internet, and I really consider myself having, you know, grown up on it. I'm usually online, a, a, 
amount of time each day. I've been known to close my computer and like pick up my phone without even realizing. But um, one thing that I've definitely been trying myself lately is to try sort of more like hands-on activities. I took up knitting, <laughs> which is very unlike me. I feel like every other person I meet in in publishing or who's involved in publishing in some way, every single other person seems to be a knitter. So maybe I need to get into that. (laughs) But I think one thing that, you know, we actually don't have out there, but I would love to see a little bit more evolved in the future is there's not many rules for sort of social etiquette around um, being online and using our phones. And so I don't want to sound like a stodgy old person because I am the person who's like on my phone all the time. But I think sometimes, you know, it's the same way you wouldn't pick up the phone and start talking to someone in the middle of dinner. Like we need to start adopting some of those rules in real life in terms of um, all of our apps. Because I've definitely sat, you know, at a bar with friends and we're all on our phones. And it's just kind of like it. the disconnect is really increasing between people. So if you spend all day working on the Internet, I would recommend that if you go to happy hour afterwards, like put your phone away. (laughs) We need a we need an Emily Post for the 21st century. I I wonder about what happens, like the Internet implanted on our wrists and you know, in our heads, like that'll be a whole other level. When we all become an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. It's, I think it's the ultimate job security when we get everybody on the internet and we're all writing for the internet. You know, there, there you go. There's our system. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me today. Is there anything else super vital about um, your role at the Mary Sue or about electronic publishing that we didn't get a chance to touch on? Well, I will do. I'm particularly proud um, at this place and time to be working um, for a site that really, as its mission, has the promotion of diversity and inclusiveness and um, a focus on feminism. It's not all that we do, but the fact that as I'm writing something up, I have to keep all these things in mind and think about, you know, am I am I body shaming someone here? Am I using the correct term that somebody wants to be called? Am I using the right pronouns? It's, it's lessons that I think everyone could really be taking to heart in this day and age. Um, and I, I would wish that almost every you know news site out there had the same guidelines that we work under. Well, thank you very much. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. And if, if you're ever interested in pitching to us at Mary Sue, you know where to find me. This has been The Pubcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.thepubcast.org.